Welcome to the second episode. Alright, so uh, do you feel like inequality that students face at home, like social class and how their parent, uh, parents might accept them for who they are or what they believe, um, affects students at school and how they learn? Yeah, I definitely think that could be a factor. I do think sometimes that's not as big of a factor as what happens at school. So I think obviously there's a, there's different categories here. If there are if there are parents who are abusive to their students, that's obviously a huge problem, and of course that's going to affect. Hopefully, that's a minority of cases where there's actually like abuse or parents who like don't love their children or are neglectful. Like that's that's a horrible situation. I think most parents are trying to do the best they can. I think most parents love their children. Most parents want the best for their children. They want them to have an amazing education and succeed. But they might not always know like the ins and outs of school. So for example, my parents didn't really know. They knew, you know, they went to high school, they understood that. But when I started getting into higher grades at school, they didn't always understand my homework, uh, but they wanted me to do well. Uh, they just told me to listen to the teacher and to do what I was told and to do, have them help me. I think sometimes now we expect so much of parents to know like everything about school, like how everything's supposed to work, come to every parent teacher night, even if they're working and have other responsibilities. And I don't think that's fair always to like blame parents or to blame students or to say, you know, there's this myth that was going around for a long time that students whose parents uh, didn't speak English um, weren't helping them enough for their education or they weren't hearing enough words at home. But that has actually been debunked to be shown not to be true. It's just that what they're talking about at home is not being valued in school. So it's not really our job to criticize or tell parents like how to talk to their children and how to love their children as long as they're loving them. It's their job to then just bring a child who is loved to school and it's our job to then as teachers like help those parents, support those parents, support their children and like help them succeed. So I think I, I worry sometimes about like a lot of times, you know, when we see students who aren't succeeding a lot in schools, schools don't want to take responsibility for that. So they just say like, well, it's because their parents don't care about education or because they let their kids do this or that. And I think that except in a, just a few cases that are extreme, for the most part, that's not a fair thing to say about parents. It's more about every kid and every parent is doing the best they can. And it's our job to take them, take everyone as they come in and give them the best education possible. Have you experienced inequality growing up in schools? Yeah, I think like we were talking about, like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the word tracking, but tracking is something they, they use to say like, um, do you have AP classes at your school? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. So I was tracked and it means that like, you know, like once you start in ninth grade, you're gonna start as you move on, like getting kind of like tracked, they call it into different classes. So if you're really good in math, maybe you're gonna start getting tracked into like the AP pre-calc and calculus classes or whatever. And I, I, my school was very big. I've been, I've been to your school. I was there last year. Um, 
So I know you're very small, but my school had like uh, 2,500 students in it from nine to 12. So really, really big. Um, and once you were tracked into AP classes, like I was, the only students I saw, like, even though I was in a graduating class of like 600 students, there's probably only like 50 students that I saw all the time because we were all kind of tracked together and we would see each other in the same honors classes and AP classes. And then I wouldn't like meet or see other people who were in different tracks because somehow along the way, we decide that students are gonna be good at certain things or not. And we start to like make their path for them. And the problem with that is that it's really hard to like break out of that path once you're in it. So if a student maybe wanted to do well and get into AP English, but they were tracked into the lower classes from the beginning, it's really hard to then even show that you should be able to get up to a different level. You just kind of stay where you are and your schedule becomes set. And so I think there's lots of inequalities that happen that I didn't even realize about like the way we determine what we think kids are capable of and how we put them into different classes. And the problem is that those ideas are often influenced by racism, sexism. Like there are oftentimes we see less students of color in AP classes. And it's not because students of color are not as intelligent because we know that they are. It's because somewhere along the way, because of the teachers they had or uh, a bad experience, they weren't tracked into those classes and then it kind of snowballs over time. And then that can like make the inequality get worse and worse. Yeah, I think we kind of like notice that a little bit at school, especially if parents have a high standard for their kids that they're always in higher classes working extra hard while they might not feel prepared to be in that class or like mentally ready. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with everything that you were saying. Yeah, like my parents didn't know what AP was, so there might be parents that don't even know that they can fight for their students to get into AP because they didn't have that experience. And so then like in, in education, they call that like capital. So capital is not just money. Like we use money, we use money capital to buy things, but we also have social capital which is like the knowledge we have about how to get ahead. And different people have different kinds of knowledge about how the system works. And if you are a parent that knows the system, then you can play the system to make sure it's the best for your kid. But that's not the fault of the people that don't have it. It's it's something that we need to, that's how, like, you know, that winds up, it's not anybody's intention, but it winds up making more inequality over time. Um, so you've traveled across the country and toured a bunch of schools, correct? Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I forgot my question. Um, oh my gosh. Um, I've seen schools from Alaska all the way to Florida and back. Yeah. Wow. Um, would you say that America is, um, has a lot of inequality in the education system as a whole, or uh, do you think it's like pretty well developed? So are you all participating in the, the program where we're talking to students from different places in yes. your class? Yeah, so that's the program that we started, uh, that I started with Ms. Benson and, and other teachers. And it's been really interesting because I'm sure as you start to talk and get to know your, your people in your group, you're gonna see that every place in America, like we're all part of the United States of America, but our experiences are all so different. Like our communities are so different. Um, and I think everywhere I go, teachers and students 
and parents want the best for their students, but um, inequality pops up in different ways in every place slightly differently. So like the US is very, very segregated still, even though it's not legal anymore. The US is still very segregated in where people live um, by race and by class because realtors start to send people to houses that they can afford and that winds up being in different neighborhoods that wind up being separated. So that means that schools are gonna be separated because if neighborhoods are segregated, then you're gonna wind up having schools that reflect that and are segregated. And so then that's kind of the opposite of what our laws were all supposed to stop. Like back in the 50s and 60s, we had big like, you know, Supreme Court decisions to get rid of separate but equal. But now we're kind of at a place where that's still happening. And it's it's frustrating because people don't want that to be happening, but because of things that there's all, all those factors we talked about before, all the money and the preparing the teachers and who writes the curriculum and what's the policies, it just seems so complex that it feels like really hard to get a handle on all of it at the same time. But at the same time, I do think that almost every school that I go to, people are trying really, really hard. They care about the students in the school and they're trying to do everything they can to meet their needs. And so I feel like really exciting and powerful things are happening everywhere um, at the same time that everyone's dealing with these challenges. And so that's why I like the idea of like, I think that communicating across these boundaries, finding ways for students like you to talk to other students, for teachers to talk to other teachers, like the more we know, each other, the more we all can see our different plans and strategies, and the more that we communicate, we can like get rid of some of these stereotypes and assumptions and actually like work together across our different experiences. Stay tuned for part three.